welcome, welcome. I would like to welcome you to episode 331 of the Unpopular Podcast. This is the man, the myth, the legend, Jalen Hunter. And here at the Unpopular Podcast, I'm not really asking you to agree with me. I'm asking you to hear me out. Finally. Finally. One thing that, of course, the NFL has been waiting on. We're going to trust me. We're going to talk about the draft a little bit later in the episode. But one thing that the NFL has been waiting on is this Aaron Rodgers to the Jets deal to get finalized. And, and, and not just because, you know, it's Aaron Rodgers and it's the Jets. And, of course, it's going to affect both of them. But this has major implications, not only for for the Jets, not only for Aaron Rodgers, not only for the Green Bay Packers, but for the for the NFL draft. You see, Aaron Rodgers, and again, the, the deal finally got done. Aaron Rodgers, the Jets get Aaron Rodgers, the 15th pick. They had uh, The Packers and the Jets had a pick swap and a 2023 fifth-round pick. The Packers get the 13th pick, uh, a second-round pick, a uh, what a sixth round pick and possibly a first round pick in 2024. The deal is finally get, got done. And when I talked about this before, I talked about the Jets and how let's damper our expectations when we talk about how far the Jets can go in terms of Super Bowl or, or playoffs. But then I, I thought to myself, This is probably the most, the best day in Jets, or this is probably the best event in Jets history as far as a free agent or as far as a trade, as far as acquiring somebody. Aaron Rodgers is the best player that the Jets have ever had. Now, I understand that you can look at Naismith and everything, but, or Joe Namath, I'm sorry, but she, the, the, Aaron Rodgers is the best player the Jets have ever had already. And... You're talking about a franchise that has been so deprived of quarterback play that their their last great quarterback, I think, was Mark Brunell. Oh, not Mark Brunell. I'm sorry. Was uh was uh Mark Sanchez. Mark Sanchez. So let me let me break this trade down into three parts. How it affects the Packers, how it affects the Jets, and how it affects the draft. Let's start with the Jets. Of course, you get the big fish. You get Aaron Rodgers. You now, Aaron, Dan Orlowski came on or was on ESPN, and he said that now this puts the Jets in a tier that will compete with the Bills and the Chiefs and the Bengals. I don't know if I agree with him, but let me, let me, let me say what the jet or let me describe to you what the Jets are right now. They're drastically better at quarterback than they were a year ago. And I understand Aaron Rodgers is is close to the end of his career and you know, he's not as young and as spry as a lot of the quarterbacks that's in the AFC, but he's still arguably one of the greatest quarterbacks we've ever seen. And even though he didn't have a great season last year and the Packers didn't ultimately make the playoffs, Aaron Rodgers was still good. And he wasn't Aaron Rodgers good. Let me say that. He wasn't the the, the Aaron Rodgers level good that we expect to see out of Aaron Rodgers. But 
he was good. He was still better than a lot of quarterbacks that we that we saw in the National Football League last year. You get you get Aaron Rodgers, and without Aaron Rodgers last year, you had one of the best team on paper. You had one of the best defenses, one of the best offenses as far as the running back position before Brees Hall went out. You have solid weapons on the on the outside. Of course, you had Garrett Wilson. Now, now you have Alan Lazard, and you get Aaron Rodgers. A year ago, the Jets were knocking on the doorstep to get into the playoffs. If it wasn't for a couple of couple of bad losses at the end and a couple of of things that did not go their way, the Jets would have been in the playoffs. Now you integrate. Aaron Rodgers into that into that that position. The, there's no way, in my opinion. Now I understand that the Jets the Jets uh, schedule is tougher this year than it was last year, and again, it's a new quarterback, new system, and everything. But I I I would be shocked if they don't make the playoffs, honestly, and. The biggest reason I had to think about this for a second, and I had to think about this for a while actually. One of the biggest reasons why I agree with Dan Olowski saying that the Jets could be one of those teams that could be viable for a Super Bowl in the AFC is because of just their entire roster. When you look, they have one of the best rosters in football. Yes, they're young, and when we talk about youth, what what, what I, you guys know I like to do comparisons, and I like to compare one thing to it. Like, usually, I have a basketball comparison. I compare the the Jet, the New York Jets, to the Sacramento Kings. The difference is, this would be the Sacramento Kings if they had a Steph Curry. Because if you think about it, well, yes, De'Aaron Fox is really good. Actually, let me not say Steph Curry. Let me not say Steph. This would be the the Sacramento Kings if they got, let's say, Kevin Durant. You see, you the, the Kings are full of players that don't have much experience in the playoffs, as we're seeing, in, in, and we'll talk about the Kings in a second, but as we're seeing in the playoffs, Experience matters, which is one of the biggest reasons why a lot of people had the have the Golden State Warriors beating the Kings. However, what we're seeing is the Kings are still young, the Kings are still fresh, the Kings are are, are a really good team. The Jets, were, they were a very good team last year, and they are going to continue to be better with Aaron Rodgers. Whether he plays this year, whether he plays next year, whether he plays you know a couple years down the road with the, for the Jets. He does, even though I understand he's older and then there are quarterbacks that are better than him in that division currently, he opens the the championship door because they were knocking on it with a, a Mike White and, and a Zach Wilson. Now that you have Aaron Rodgers, who is better than both of them combined, you have to say that not only should they be playoff bound, but they should be that you they could be in the conversation for a Super Bowl. Of course, we have to see how it goes. We have to see what happens. But 
and and everything is on paper. We talk about this a lot. If it was on paper, if we're just talking about paper, the Rams possibly could have won the Super Bowl again. If we're talking about on paper, the 49ers would have had multiple Super Bowls at this time. On paper means absolutely nothing. You have to play on the field. And we have to wait to see what the Jets look like with an Aaron Rodgers. But right now, they are one of the best teams in the AFC. And while, again, I do still want to dampen my expectations about a Super Bowl, I do think that they are good enough, at least on paper and with the roster that they constructed, they're good enough to compete for a Super Bowl. Now, let me talk about the Packers. This trade has has brought the delusion out of a lot of Packers fans. I understand that this process is eerily similar to what it was with Brett Favre going from the Packers to the Jets and, of course, Aaron Rodgers coming in and, and taking, the ring, taking the rings and, of course, we know the rest was history. I get how this is eerily similar. I get it. I get it. But please, <laughs> please hold on. Okay. The Packers, the Packers are a good team. You still have Aaron Jones. You still have a really good defense. Matt LaFleur, I, we're really about to see if he's a good coach. Again, it's it's easy to coach. I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about. It's easy to coach stars. And let me not say it's easy. Let me not say that. It's almost. It's almost. It's kind of like a cheat code coaching a star. Because you don't, especially a superstar, an all timer, you don't have to do much coaching for an all timer because they just. They, they know the game. You think. How hard do you think it is really coaching LeBron James? And I'm not talking about Darvin Ham. I'm not talking about Ty Lue. I'm not talking about anyone that's coached LeBron. But I'm sure it's a lot easier coaching LeBron than coaching a player that's probably or that's definitely not on the level of LeBron James. You, know, you think it's pretty easy. I'm not going to say easy, but it's it's easier, I'll say. Coaching may be a... Aaron Rodgers than it is coaching a younger player. We're really about to see if Matt LaFleur is a good coach because you have Jordan Love. Now, let's talk about Jordan Love for a second. I am a proponent of a team will tell you their intentions and show you their intentions without telling you and showing you their intentions. What do I mean by that? I've said for a while now, that if the Packers really trusted Jordan Love, if the Packers really wanted or really thought that Jordan Love was the quarterback of the future, they would have been gotten off of Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, what what they were waiting on was Aaron Rodgers to have a down year, which he had last year. And as we see, the one time you have a down year, you're out of there. It's very hard to get off of a quarterback that just wins a an MVP. So, we're really about to see how good Jordan Love really is, but I think we already know how good Jordan Love is. Yes, I think from what we saw last year, he has improved from his first year. That 
that's just given when you're in the system for as long as you're in the system you're going you should improve so i do think that there was improvement from his rookie year to his second year or rookie year to what we saw last year but for people that's thinking that this is going to be a Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers situation is sorely mistaken. Let me tell you the state of the Packers right now. The Packers find themselves. Now, I guess I, I understand. Let me take the delusion out of it because the delusional people think the Packers are going to be just fine. Yes, the Packers are a good team. You have a good team. You still have good players. But let, let's let's. You right now, the Packers are 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 in a position that they have not been in for years now, and that is one of the worst teams in your division. Because there's no way now that I'm if I'm the I, the Packers are not better than the Vikings, the Packers are not better than the Bear. Well, it's arguable about the Bears. And the Packers are not better than the Lions. People take for granted greatness sometimes. Until you don't have it. Think about this. When's the last time you really thought to yourself, the Oklahoma City Thunder... Is good enough to win his championship. Was when Kevin Durant was there, correct? How long ago was that? Think about that. Think about look at look at the, look how the Patriots have looked since since Tom Brady left. We take greatness for granted until we don't have it anymore. Do I think that? Jordan Love is going to be good. Yeah, I think he's going to be okay. I, I, I put do I will I put him over a Jared Goff? No. Will I put him over a Kirk Cousins? No. Will I put him over a Justin Fields? No. Now I do think, and, and and I guess we'll talk. We'll we'll have to maneuver into how this affects the draft. Again, we'll talk about the draft a little bit later and give my predictions for some picks and 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 stuff like that, but let's talk about how this affects the draft on the Jets side. The Jets now have the prize possession. They have Aaron Rodgers, and now that they also have what the 15th pick, I think you really have to look at the the tackle. I, you have to look at a tackle. You have to protect your asset. I understand Makai Becton is good. He is a really good tackle. However, his injury history makes it so that you have to really think about getting help on the line. You have to think about, uh, and you can do a lot with the with the what one hundred and seventieth pick. Apparently, this is a very heavy tight end draft and I think that the the Jets still need a tight end but now to me you have to prioritize the the uh, the right tackle and while Makai Becton is good I don't know if you can depend on him because of his injury history so that's something that you have to look at 
for the Packers side again, which is I think it's so ironic that I that with the thirteenth pick. I think this is going to be the first time in years that they pick they pick up an off like a, a wide receiver because the last thing you want to do is go into a new season and you, while yes you have Romeo Dobbs and and you have Christian Watson you want to give your quarterback as much help as possible and the and the Packers still have a really good offensive line. I think that you go a wide receiver at 13, which is ironic that they never went with a wide receiver in the first round with Aaron Rodgers. And that's all that people have been complaining about. But it, it feels like you're either going to go wide receiver or tight end. But I, I wouldn't go. Well, I guess you could go tight end without Robert Tanyan. So I think that, you know, with this deal being done. We can finally put to bed the whole, is it going to happen, is it not? I think that Aaron Rodgers landed exactly where he was supposed to land. Uh, he is the best player that the Jets have had um, since Joe Namath. And uh, I don't I don't expect much from the Packers. I do think that we're going to see a, a good Jordan Love. But what is a good Jordan Love? That's what I think we're going to find out. And is a good Jordan Love. I still don't think, even though they have a good roster, I still think that they're going to be battling for the last position in the division. Uh, and depending on what happens with Justin Fields and the Bears, and especially the Bears in the draft, I don't know if Jordan Love can lead the Packers to a winning season. I'll just say that. But Aaron Rodgers' deal is done. About time. Let's go over to uh, the NBA playoffs. When I tell you that this has been one of the most exciting first rounds in the playoffs I have seen in recent years. Yes, there are a couple, as we're, again, as hopefully you guys know by now, but this is Tuesday afternoon. So I don't know what's going to happen with the late games. But I do know this. There are multiple 3-1 leads in the series. Currently, Denver's on a 3-1 lead. Uh, the Suns on a 3-1 lead. The Lakers on a 3-1 lead. The Celtics are on a 3-1 lead. And the, the, the Knicks are on a 3-1 lead. And the one that I want to talk about the most, the one that is shocking to me, is the Miami Heat is currently on a three in a three one lead, series lead against the Milwaukee Bucks? I can't explain to you exactly how we got here. I mean, yes, you can talk about the two games that Giannis missed. Yes, you can talk about. <laughs> yes, you can talk about the coaching and and the the adjustments that they're that at least one coach seems to be making the other coach isn't. But let me explain to you why this is so shocking to me. Because a lot of people, including myself, had the Bucks at least going to the finals. Some people had them winning the finals, but at least making it to the finals. They're the deepest team in basketball. 
They have the best, arguably the best player in basketball in Giannis. And they have one of the best complementary players in basketball, which is, of course, is Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton. And you're playing a team that just came out of playing two games in the play-in. Now, I understand momentum is a thing. And we'll kind of talk about momentum when we talk about the Lakers series. And I, I understand momentum's a thing, but I also understand that the Miami Heat have struggled all year. They struggled with injury. They struggled with consistency. The Miami Heat have struggled all year. And while, if you remember last episode when I was giving my all-NBA teams, one of the biggest reasons why I gave Jimmy Butler all-NBA third team is because he has been the most consistent player for Miami this entire year even though he did miss some time with injury when he has been playing he has been great this entire year but I, I I'm shocked because the Bucks are still playing really good Giannis just had a, a, a playoff triple double and we can talk about the two games that Giannis missed But one of those games, the Heat lost by like 20, 30 points. I understand Jimmy Butler says that there's no such thing as playoff Jimmy. But the the numbers don't lie. Jimmy Butler's game goes to a whole nother level in the playoffs. I mean, we saw that in the bubble, which he led his team to the NBA Finals when they were in the bubble. Now, of course, they ultimately lost to LeBron James and the Lakers, LeBron James and Anthony Davis and the Lakers, but his play just skyrockets once he makes it to the playoffs. I mean, why are we talking about this in the second block? Think about that. Jimmy Butler just dropped 56 points against one of the best defenses in the league. 56 points, which is the most all-time in Heat playoff history, his career high, and I think the fourth or fifth most playoff points in NBA history. Momentum is a thing. And one thing that I'm seeing is the Heat riding momentum from that plan. Now, I will say this. I think that the Bucks is very are very capable of coming back from 3-1. Because you can look at it two ways. You can look at it like while yes, the Bucks are down 3-1, it took a 56-point game from Jimmy Butler to secure them the win in game four. You can also look at it as this was Giannis' first game back. Uh, and even with his first game back and obviously still dealing with back pains as we saw in the game, he finished with his 26-point triple-double. 
and let me and, and 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 you still have to win two at home and just one on the road. And one of the two at home is a game seven. So if you're a Bucks fan, or you're the Bucks, you're just telling yourself there's no way and Kenny Kenny Smith, Kenny the Jet Smith on TNT said it best. Your mindset being down 3-1 cuz he was down 3-1 when he was on the Rockets and or yeah, in the NBA Finals against Charles Barkley's Suns and they ultimately came back and won. Their mindset would be, yo, there's no way they're beating us at home, and all we have to do is win one more in Miami. Now, of course, that's easier said than done when you have Jimmy Butler playing at this level. Oh, and I also want to shout out Victor Oladipo. Uh, Victor Oladipo, who's from the crib, by the way. Victor Oladipo has dealt with several injuries, several lower leg injuries. I think he's torn his ACL a couple times. And unfortunately, he he tore his pectello tendon, so he'll be out for pretty much a year. And it's unfortunate. I hate I hate seeing injuries in general, but I hate seeing injuries from a player that has dealt with multiple injuries and was playing really good basketball. He was very important for the Heat, especially because of the Taliero injury, which is also how shocking this is to me, that two very important players, especially important players when we talk about on the when we talk about the offensive side of the ball is out. So of course you need Jimmy Butler to step up and and do more, which of course he shot twenty eight shots, I think only, uh, and made nineteen of them. So he only missed eight nine shots, and had a fifty six point game. This is one of the most shocking series, of course. And, and you can go back to my predictions. I didn't even think Miami was going to win like a game or two. I thought it was probably going to be a gentleman sweep. But Miami, I was, I was, I'm pleasantly surprised, and I was wrong. Miami is playing incredible now. It's all about finishing out. I usually would say that this series is over, but I've seen on several occasions a team come back from three-one. And usually, the team that comes back from three-one has the best player. Think about it. Golden State when they came back from three-one, Steph Curry. Now, yes, Clay Thompson was going crazy in game six, but Steph Curry was still Steph Curry. Even though they were going against Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook, still Steph Curry. Uh, Miami in 3-1 in the finals. LeBron James and Kyrie Irving. We've seen teams come back from 3-1. And I think that if there is a t- if there is another team that could come back, especially a team out of all these teams that's playing, if there is a team that can come back from 3-1 currently, it is the the Bucks with Giannis and Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez playing incredible defense. But I will say I am pleasantly shocked of how good Miami is playing against a team while yes, I understand Giannis was out twice, but one of those games the Bucks were dominant. Maybe it's maybe it's 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 adjustments. 
we know Eric Spoelstra is one of the best coaches in NBA history. And we also understand that he's one of the best coaches at making adjustments. Mike Budenhoser, yo, there was a time when Miami went on like a 22 or 24-2 to run. Cut like straight. You don't think to call a timeout in that situation? To like chill the crowd out, chill the momentum? He didn't, and they lost. And now they're in the 3-1 hole. So, again, man, shouts out to Jimmy Butler for dropping 56 points and, and literally carrying his team because we're not seeing consistent play out of Kyle Lowry because of the hamstring injury, and we're not seeing consistent play out of Bam out of bio because I don't know. Maybe he's tired on the offensive side of the ball because you have to go up against Brooke Lopez, who's a big body, and you see that they switch Bam out of bio on Giannis a couple times. I don't know, but Bam Adebayo has been hella inconsistent. And maybe an adjustment, because I heard people say Giannis has to guard Jimmy Butler. That's a tough ask. Don't get me wrong. I understand Giannis is the best player in the world, possibly. That's a tough ask for a player that has a back, that's nursing a back injury. I understand he had 26, what, 10 and 8 or something, or 10. But he still has a back injury, which we saw was bothering him throughout the game because he was getting constant treatment throughout the game. But shouts out to Jimmy Butler. Shouts out to Miami for being up 3-1. And we'll see what happens. You know what happens when you poke a bear? Or if that's the mantra that you want to give it? And you're not equipped you know what it is? I'll say it like this. You don't do something if you're not ready for the consequences. Because every action has a consequence. Every action has a reaction. The Memphis Grizzlies find themselves down 3-1 in the, in, in the series against the Lakers. LeBron James had an incredible game the other night. Uh, he had 20 points or 22 points and 20 assists. I mean, no, 20 rebounds. The game went to overtime. LeBron James hit the layup to send it to overtime, and he pretty much hit the game-winning or game-sealing layup. And one of the biggest reasons why I had the Lakers beating Memphis was because of the size and because of momentum. The Lakers were going into the playoffs, even though they were in the plan. They were going into the playoffs with one of the best records in the league since the All-Star break. Or no, since the trade deadline. So I thought that the Lakers were peaking at the right time. LeBron James was playing well. Anthony Davis was playing well. Austin Reeves has emerged as a quality third player. It, it just, it, the Lakers were just, are playing their best basketball at the right time. And that's one of the biggest reasons why I had them beating the, the Grizzlies. But one thing that we're seeing from this entire series is the Grizzlies are trying to lean on something that is unsustainable. While the, while the Lakers are not. Maybe that could be experience. I don't know. But what the what what it seems like the Grizzlies are doing 
in particular Dylan Brooks, is you're leaning on trash talk or you're leaning on you're trying to get a, a mental edge over this Lakers team, which is confusing to me because you're playing against a four-time champion, LeBron James. You're playing against a, a, a NBA champion in Anthony Davis. You're playing against players that have experienced playoffs. You're playing against players. Now, yes, not all of them have experience in the playoffs, but you're playing against a team that is led by a, arguably the greatest player of all time. And you think that trash talk, you think that you're getting under the a, a player's skin, you're getting under a, a team's skin by talking, which I also think is funny that Dylan Brooks, you know, I poke bears and I'm not going to respect LeBron James until he, or I don't respect anybody that doesn't give me 40 points and he's old. Since then, I don't think Dylan Brooks has had one media availability. He continues to cancel it. Then he gets ejected for making contact to LeBron James's groin. Then he says the media and fans are turning him into a villain, even though just last year he called himself Dylan the villain. And which, what he's doing, and people people get on Draymond Green for this, but Draymond Green is 10 times better than Dylan Brooks. Let me first say that. But what, what, what people get on Draymond Green about is they feel he casts checks that Steph Curry is going to have to, have to, have to, have to, you know what I'm saying? He's, he casts, he, he, that's it. He writes checks that Steph Curry is going to have to cash. Because we know Steph Curry is the best shooter of all time. We know that when it comes down to it, Steph Curry is the most important offensive player on the team. And while Draymond Green is incredible, and Draymond Green, in my opinion, will go will be a Hall of Famer, he's arguably one of the one of the probably the best defender of this generation. He does he says things that st- people feel that he says things that Steph Curry then has to back up what Dylan Brooks is doing is Dylan Brooks is talking and he's he's writing checks that someone like a John Morant has to has to cash but the problem is John Morant talks too. remember the whole I'm finding the West thing this team the Grizzlies just the, they're I love the confidence let me get that let me let me get that out the way I love a confident team but there's a difference between confidence and naivety. There's a difference between confidence. It's like this. What is your confidence leaning on? Where are you building this confidence? Because the Grizzlies have not done anything. And now as they look, they're going and there's, there's, there should have been red flags everywhere. If you're a Grizzlies fan not, or if you're a Grizzlies fan player whatever not saying that you have to listen to it but there should be red flags everywhere when going into the playoffs you were one of the only top seeds you and the kings were the only two top seeds that were not favored you were the underdog as the number two seed in the west 
against a team that struggled mightily this entire year. In fact, most of the M- NBA season, they were below 500. Now, yes, you have LeBron James, you have Anthony Davis, but most of the NBA season, the L.A. Lakers were under 500, and you're going into the you went into the series as the number two seed in the underdog. And we're seeing exactly what I thought we would see. A team that is bigger, that is more physical, beating a team that talks a lot. Let me not let me let me let me be honest with you. The Lakers are not that good of a team. But neither are the Grizzlies. I will say this. Not having Steven Adams and Brandon Clark is huge. And I think that is the dictating factor of why the Grizzlies are struggling while they're struggling, especially containing the rim and 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 protecting the rim. Because it seems like, the I mean, outside of the, the end of the fourth quarter, the Lakers have struggled mildly with shooting the ball. They're just getting everything they, that they want that they want at the rim. Because they outside of Jaron Jackson Jr., they don't have a rim protector. Xavier Tillman's cool, but he's not a rim protector. But the Lakers are 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 if we want to if we want to stay in the metaphor metaphor realm, the Lakers are big brothering the clip the, the Grizzlies. And the Lakers are not that of a that good of a team. There's a reason why they're the seventh seed. I'll say this. Oh, and let me let me talk about Anthony Davis for a second. Because that's another reason why the Grizzlies should feel like <laughs> the Grizzlies should be so so shocked and enamored about what's going on. Anthony Davis has not been playing th- There's something going on with Anthony Davis. I don't know if it's a mental thing. I don't know what it is, but there's no way Anthony Davis should be the best player. Now, LeBron James, of course, if we talk about legacy and we talk about the the history, LeBron James, of course, is the best player. But currently, Anthony Davis should be the best player in this series. And one of the biggest reasons why he's not the best player in this series is because he's been inconsistent. When he's on, he is on. When he's, I've said this multiple times. I've said this pretty much his, his entire career. When Anthony Davis is on, he is arguably the best player in the league. When we talk about skill set, when we talk about what just what he can do, he is one of the best players in the league. The problem is he, and even and as we're seeing in this series, he has not been inconsistent. He'll have 31 game, 35 one game and 15. And the next game he'll have 12 and get thoroughly outplayed by an Xavier Tillman. Now, again, Shouts out to Xavier Tillman. That's no offense to him, but there's levels. And Xavier Tillman should never be on the same level as Anthony Davis. A in a lot of people's eyes, and I'm clear the NBA's eyes, an NBA top 75 player. Xavier Tillman should never be outplaying Anthony Davis. And he has done that a couple times in this series. And on top of that, Memphis. Let's talk about John Morant for a second. One of the biggest uh, 
One of the biggest... How do I how do I approach this? Because I don't want to take away from what makes John Moran great. Because obviously, what makes John Moran great got him to the NBA, got him here. But I also understand that there needs to be a second a, a second win or a second. There has to be a second skill set that that. John Moran can lean on because if he continues to lean on his athleticism and his just his ability to just jump over people, that's not going to work. There's a reason why his hand is hurting. There's a yo. Do you know how many times John Moran's on the ground a lot? And 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 as a basketball player now, clearly not an NBA player, not as athletic as as John Moran, but as a basketball player, I know firsthand the ground does not feel good. The floor does not feel good. And John Morant, he just he just throws throws reckless event like he just throws fear to the wall and just just does whatever. That's not, that's not, he's not going to be able to sustain that as we're seeing now he's injured. In fact, as we're seeing the last 2 years his season can end with him injured. Not saying that he this year obviously he's playing with a hand injury, but last year he was hurt. This year he's hurt. And a lot of that is due to the reckless abandonment that he plays with and that he just puts his body on the line. That's not going to work in the long term. The Lakers have been the better team than the Grizzlies. And I'm not I won't be surprised if come what we look up and and <laughs> this this Grizzlies team that has been, you know, the 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 grit and grind Grizzlies are at home. At home and uh Look, lo, lo, a, a number two seed losing to a seven seed. I mean, it's probably going to happen. Yeah, there, I have confidence and faith. Not faith, because I don't really care. I have confidence that the Bucks can come back from three one against the 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 Heat. Because I've seen the Bucks at their best. I have absolutely no confidence that the Grizzlies can come back against the Lakers 3-1. If you look, and we'll move forward from there. If you look at almost at every single. Now, let me not just put it on them. I've said this before. If you look at every single champion, whether we talk about football, whether we talk about basketball, whether we talk about baseball, if you look at, at hockey, if you look at every champion, there are breaks. They they get breaks. There's never been a champion that hasn't gotten a break. And the break doesn't have to be you know, an injury or it could be a bad call that goes their way. It can be they just 
they just hit the right matchup because the matchup they were supposed to play loses. Every every Super Bowl champion, every Stanley Cup winner, every uh, World Series champion, every NBA champion catches a break. Now, that doesn't take away from the greatness because you still have to play who's in front of you. You still have to play a team. You still have to win the games. But almost every – I think about this. I wonder how it would have been, and I still think they would have won the Super Bowl. Don't get me wrong, but I wonder how it would have how it would have went if the Kansas City Chiefs had to play the Bills the second uh, in the playoffs instead of the Bengals, or if you want to keep it with the Bengals. I wonder how the game would have went if the Bengals' top offensive line, the two offensive linemen, would have been healthy. Or if homie for the Bengals never pushed Patrick Mahomes out, out out of bounds, which, of course, cost them the game. Or if Joe Burrow never threw those two interceptions. Or let's 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 go with uh, let's go with baseball. What happens if the Astros what happens if the Astros play the Yankees instead of the Phillies? And while Aaron Judge was struggling in the playoffs, what happens if the Phillies play the Yankees and Aaron Judge is not struggling? What I'm saying is every team gets breaks. It's just do you capitalize on those breaks? Hell, even the losing team gets breaks. Like, imagine, if you want to go back to to football, imagine if Von Miller was playing for the Bills. Do you think that they could have beat the Bengals? Or what happens if Brock Purdy finishes the game? Like, healthy. Do you think that they could have arguably beat the Eagles? Or if even in the Super Bowl, what if Jalen Hurts doesn't have that freak play which costs them a touchdown? What I'm saying is, again, every champion has a break somewhere in their in their journey to get to the to the to the big game. The Kings and Golden State series has been by far the best series in this entire playoffs. When we talk about the level of shot making, the level of defense, the level of attention to detail, there has not been a series as exciting and as great as this Golden State King series has been. And I hear a lot of people say that this feels like the end of uh, the Western Conference Finals. Now, of course, this isn't the Western Conference Finals, but there are, this this series feels like it, it does have a Western Conference Finals feel because of just how good both teams have played and how good the games have been. 
it kind of goes back to a couple years ago when Golden State played the Rockets. They had Kevin Durant, Golden State. Houston had James Harden and Chris Paul. And that felt like the NBA Finals. Now, of course, it wasn't. It was the Western Conference Finals, which, of course, Golden State ultimately went and won that series and won the NBA Finals. But that series felt like the NBA Finals. But if we talk about breaks, and that's where I started this this segment on. We talk about breaks. Don't get me wrong. I am not taking away from anything that the Golden State Warriors have done. I'm not discounting them. I'm not discrediting them. Golden State won and earned every single championship they have. But when we talk about breaks, let's let's break down the Golden State Warriors breaks. 2015, their first year they won the championship. Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love were out. Break. 2017, they had Kevin Durant. I'm not saying that they would have won the series, but I think it was game one. Ka- Kawhi Leonard and the Spurs are up 22 points against Golden State. Kawhi Leonard goes out. We know what happens to Kawhi Leonard after that. Break. 2018, the Golden State Warriors are down 3-2 to the Houston Rockets in the Western Conference Finals. Break. Uh, Chris Paul pulls his hamstring, doesn't play again. Out. Last 2020 NBA Finals. In fact, it wasn't really just the NBA Finals. It was the path. You're you're in a dogfight against. Oh, in fact, it's it was every it was every series but the finals. First series last year, Jamal Murray wasn't playing. Series number two, you're you're in a dog fight against uh, you're in a dog fight against the Grizzlies. John Morant goes out. The next round, instead of going against the arguable better team and the team that a lot of people are expecting you to go against, which is the Phoenix Suns, who had arguably the best. Actually, I think had the best regular season last year. You go up against a team that you just outmatched and, and you're just better than, and that is the Dallas Mavericks. Now, yes, they have Luka, but they didn't really have anybody else. Breaks. Hell, you can even go to 2019. The, the, the Toronto Raptors caught breaks. Yo, every injury imaginable happened to Golden State in that finals. Seth Curry got hurt. Klay Thompson tore his ACL. Of course, Kevin Durant uh, got the Achilles injury. DeMarcus Cousins got hurt. Draymond Green got hurt. Breaks. Why am I talking about this? Because Golden State could have possibly caught a break in this Kings and in this series with the Kings. Because a report came out and it was breaking news that De'Aaron Fox fractured his his uh, index, his shooting, his index finger on his shooting hand. And he is questionable, doubtful, possibly for, to play game five. Now, of course, he can play game five, but he's going to have to wear a protective sleeve on his finger, which a lot of people are are 
talking about Kobe Bryant doing that. Not everyone's Kobe Bryant, bro. Let's let's be real. Now, I do think that De'Aaron Fox probably will play, but it drastically hampers his shooting ability uh, and how how serviceable and how good he is because you have a whole cast on your on your shooting hand. And when you look at this series, the one player that Golden State has not had an answer for at all has been De'Aaron Fox. De'Aaron Fox is turning into a superstar right before our eyes because of this series. Golden State has thrown everything in the kitchen sink at De'Aaron Fox and it has not worked. Now, vice versa, on the other hand, on the other side, the King Steph Curry, the Kings have absolutely no answer for Steph Curry. They put uh they've put Davion Mitchell on him. They've put everybody on Steph. They put De'Aaron Fox, Malik Monk, Harrison Barnes. They've put every single player on Steph Curry and he's still torching them. But the one player that the Golden State Warriors have not had success in stopping is De'Aaron Fox. Well, now he's going to be hampered shooting the ball. I'm not saying that I, I think the Kings can still win the series. The King, I mean, we're still waiting for a big game out of Kevin Herter. Kevin Herter has struggled mightily this entire season, entire playoff or entire round. We're still waiting on a big game from him. Keegan Murray finally started hitting shots, and that was one of the biggest reasons why Golden, you know, the, the Kings were in the game in in game four against Golden State. Keegan Murray and of course De'Aaron Fox. We're still waiting on a on a, a impressive game from Demonis Sabonis. So the Kings still, and of course De'Aaron Fox could still playing. All this be mutant. He he hits five threes. You know what I'm saying? But it does feel like a break right now for the Golden State Warriors that the Kings best player and the only player that they've had mighty or they've struggled mightily stopping has a fractured finger on his shooting hand. So now he did suffer in the fourth quarter and or and and played or suffered it in the end of the third and played the whole fourth or something like that. So we could he can obviously play in it, but we'll see how it goes. From what it says is he's doubtful, but I think he's probably going to play. I mean, this is the playoffs. And if he doesn't play, I will say this. If he does not play and Golden State loses this game because we know about their road struggles, if they do, if, if let me say, hold on now. If De'Aaron Fox does not play game five and the Warriors lose this game, trust and believe. They're losing this series. Yeah, I don't care what happens. Because you can't get a break like that if he doesn't play. Or if he does play and he's hampered and lose. That's all I'm saying. And I'm hearing people ask who has the advantage. I think both teams believe they have an advantage. I mean, if you look on the Golden State side, Steph Curry had two blunders that he usually doesn't have i mean he called a timeout when they didn't have one and then he shot a floater with with too much time left on the clock which of course led to everything that it led to at the end of the king's game and or end of game four and game and on the king's side you can think well where we were 
a Harrison Barnes three-point shot away from being up 3-1. And they missed a lot of, of shots in the fourth quarter that they could have made. And they shot really quick in the in the shot clock a lot of times in that fourth quarter, which kind of goes to experience and stuff. So I don't think anyone has an advantage, but I will say if, if De'Aaron Fox does not play, that gives the advantage to Golden State, even though they are on the road and we know about their road woes. So we'll see how it goes. One of the more exciting, well, one of the more interesting and, and you know what the playoffs do, do? The playoffs exposes you for your weaknesses. If you look at every single playoff series, they their weaknesses have been exposed. Some of the exposed and and taken advantage of. I'll say that. We we just talked about Golden State. Golden State's biggest weakness, of course, is their is their road record and their defense. Well, the Kings are constantly putting them, and they foul too much, and they turn the ball over. The Kings are putting them in every single pick and roll I can imagine. You can imagine, and getting wide open threes. They're just not hitting. Every sing- you can look at every single series, and every single series, the opponent, some opponents are doing better than others, but they're exposing their weaknesses. Going into this New York Knicks Cleveland Cavaliers series, the biggest weakness that I said was the guard, the guard defense. While yes, people were raving that the Cleveland Cavaliers were the best defense in the league. I said they were the best defense in the league because of their front court, because of Evan Mobley, because of Allen, because of Okoro. They're really good defenders, don't get me wrong, but they all all three of them still leave less to desire on the offensive side of the ball. And when you look at their front court, Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland, they are not the best defenders at all. Okay. They're not good defenders at all. Donovan Mitchell is better than Darius Garland, but they're not good defenders. And I had the Knicks winning this series because of how good the, the, the front court or the back court has been for the Knicks when we talk about uh, Jalen Brunson, when we talk about RJ Barrett. And I also talked and I also felt that Julius Randle can bring the bigs out with his ability to shoot the ball. So I said I had I felt that I predicted that the Knicks were going to win this series. What I did not predict and how shocked I am. This is another shocking, even though, yes, I had the Knicks winning. One of the reasons why this is one of the more shocking series is because of how how dominant the Knicks look compared to the Cavaliers. Now, yes, the Cavaliers do go on runs, and they've been on a big run in game four, but they ultimately lost. But the Knicks look drastically better than the Cavs. Jalen Brunson, he is playing the best basketball. And and <laughs> shouts out to Joe Budden. Joe Budden said this, and I had to really think about it. Because he could be could be true. Joe Budden said that Jalen Brunson might be 
one of the best point guards, especially point guard acquisitions when we talk about free agency and everything, that the Knicks have ever had. And I'm thinking, like, you what? But then I'm thinking, yeah, you had, of course, you know, Walt Frazier. I'm not taking away from them. Yes, you had the, the Tiny Arch, but yes, you had guards. But Jalen Brunson is for sure one of the best free agent acquisitions they've ever had. And we're seeing it matriculate in the playoffs. Jalen Brunson is looking at Donovan Mitchell like, bro, you're a lunch. The Knicks have been have played incredible. RJ Barrett finally found his shot. And I said this last episode, the role players were going to were going to win this series. I was wrong. <laughs> what it is is the Knicks have exposed the Cavaliers for what they really are. And what the Cavaliers really are, they're a top-heavy team. They're a top-heavy team against a team that's more balanced. Even though, no, I don't think that the Knicks are as balanced as, you know, everyone. But the Knicks are more balanced than the Cavs. The Cavaliers, when we talk about offensively, they're extremely top-heavy. They really only have two consistent scores, and that is Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. You can kind of put Karis LeVert, but no, he's – no. They do not have a third consistent score. You hope it is Evan Mobley, but Evan Mobley is not that, not, not that good of a score at this point of his career. He's just really good on the defensive side of the ball. But the Knicks are saying, yo, Donovan Mitchell, we're not going to let – he's going to – Donovan Mitchell or Darius Garland, one of them is going to go off. Ain't nobody else beating us. And that's what we're seeing. So I am shocked. I, again, I know I picked the Knicks to win the series, but I'm shocked that they're up 3-1 at this point. I mean, could possibly – when do they play tonight? No, yeah, they put him up. I'm shocked. So, Jalen Brunson has played drastically better than Donovan Mitchell. And that's that. That's something I didn't think I would say on my 2023 bingo card. So, shouts out to them. And, and again, it goes back. I'm confident that the Bucks can come back from 3-1, even though they might not. But I'm confident they can come back. I don't know if the, the Cavaliers can come back 3-1, especially with how good the Knicks are playing. So There was a poll that came out. I think it's a yearly thing where they asked the players, and of course the answers are anonymous, but excuse me they asked the players several questions like who is the best player in the world who would you start your franchise over or who would you start your franchise who would you uh who's the most underrated player who's the most overrated player and the the, the question that kind of uh there was a couple that caught my eye like Ale- like uh Shangoon and he's been incredible for the Houston Rockets but he got votes for who would you start your franchise over so did Chet Holmgren 
who hasn't played a minute this year. But the one that I'm I'm focusing on, and it kind of ties into the playoffs, of course, is Trey Young was voted the most overrated player in the league. And again, there's a game tonight, and and I believe that the Boston Celtics are going to handle business and and finish the series against the against the Atlanta Hawks, especially with DeJounte Murray not playing because he made contact with the ref, which you can't do that, even though I do hear see people saying, of course, Jalen or Jason Tatum made contact. But again, it's not a tit for tat thing. If you make contact, you're supposed to be out of here. So I'm sorry. But let's get back. Trey Young was voted the most overrated player in the league. And as we sit here today, Trey Young has struggled mightily. Mightily. This series. It's one of the biggest reasons why I didn't think they were going to win the series. I don't. I, that's one of the biggest reasons why the. 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 the um. The Atlanta Hawks are down 3-1 in the series because of how bad Trey Young has been playing. Now, yes, the last two games he's picked it up, but he hasn't been good. You see, you see there's a big there's a reason why when people say that Trey Young is the next Steph Curry. I kind of like, I mean, okay. Because Steph Curry affects the game in so many. Yes, we know Steph Curry to be the greatest shooter of all time. But But he affects the game in so many different ways. Whether we talk about passing, whether we talk about, you know, getting other people involved. Defensively, even though he's not the best on-ball defender, he's great when we talk about playing in. In he he's great in in moments when he has to be great, especially defensively, and and he takes pride in that. He he's good in passing lanes. I mean, the year that he had the fifty forty nine, the year he won this, uh, I think it was two thousand sixteen, two thousand sixteen. When he won his second or the unanimous MVP, he led the league in steals. Trey Young only affects the game one way, and that's scoring the ball. Yes, he's he he's he's good at times assisting, but it's it's very inconsistent. And when you're playing against a team like the Celtics, when you are the underdog, you have the lesser team. You have to do more than just score. And as we're seeing, once the Celtics cut off the water for you to score the ball. What else do you have? And as we've seen, Trey Young is not that good anywhere else. Now, do I think Trey Young can improve? And well, let me say this: I think Trey Young is going to have to improve. He's already undersized. His shot ability is great, yeah, and and his confidence is great, but 
what is your second win? Steph Curry is the greatest shooter, but nobody really, I mean, he, it's not just because you shoot threes. It's He's great at the mid-range. He's great at creating shots. He's great at putting the ball on the ground. He's great at getting to the rim and getting fouls and getting layups. All things that Trey Young needs to be more consistent in. Even if Trey Young was the best player in the series, I don't think that they would win because Boston is a better team. But one thing that this series is exposing out of Trey Young is he has he doesn't I don't know if he's confident in in his second ability or because his shot isn't falling as much and as consistently as he would like it to be everywhere else fails. And if it doesn't get better, he'll just be okay. And if I don't think you drafted him as high as you draft him just to be okay. He's a great scorer, don't get me wrong. When he's on, he's on. But when he's on, when he's not, ugh. And then we get to a, a we get to a string of 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 series that we don't need to stay on long. Uh, a lot of these series will be, I believe, these series will be over by the time I see you again on Saturday. In fact, I believe these series will be over by the time you watch this tomorrow. As the first one is the Denver Nuggets and the Toronto, or no, in the Timberwolves. They're, Denver's up 3-1. Denver has been the superior team. It kind of feels like when I watch these games, the Timberwolves quit, it feels like. I could be dressed. I could be wrong. But it just feels like they quit. Last game, even though they had a good game, there was a point in that game where I thought that Anthony Edwards was the only player that really felt like playing. Carl Anthony Towns, yeah, he had 25 points, but he, like, shied away. a couple, Like, it's, it just feels like the Timberwolves quit. A lot of times. Now, yes, I know they did win the game, but a lot of that was off the backs of Anthony Edwards having a, an incredible game. I think that uh, the Denver's has been the better team. They've been the deeper team. Jamal Murray is playing like Jamal Murray of old. Nikola Jokic had a 46-point game last Like it's Aaron Gordon has been so important to this team as well as KCP. I just I just think this, this series is going to be over uh, fairly well, I think when you watch this tomorrow at, at on Wednesday, 9 o'clock Eastern on YouTube, uh, the Denver Nuggets will have won this game. So that's one. Two, and this, this is very unfortunate because I feel if – you know, I have to stop saying that. We have to stop saying that as people. As sports fans, I think I think sports fandom and, and and I think that hope is is I don't know why we thought that the Clippers I know why we thought we thought the Clippers were championship caliber teams be or was a championship caliber team because they had Kawhi Leonard or they have Kawhi Leonard they have Paul George. Now they have Russell Westbrook. And if you and three of those are healthy, all three are healthy, I think that they're beating the clip the Suns. 
But again, the if they're healthy part is huge. And the fact of when is the last time Kawhi Leonard and Paul George have both been healthy in 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 key situations? I can't I can't remember last time. And now you look the Suns, which the Suns have problems too, but the Clippers don't have the players to capitalize. The Suns starters play damn near the whole game. I think Kevin Durant's averaging like 45, 45 minutes a game. Like the Suns start, there's no, they don't have a bench. However, the Clippers, without Paul George, without Kawhi Leonard, they're not that good defensively. Russell Westbrook is playing out of his mind, had two 30-plus point games, had a 37-point game the other day. But you don't have enough because your best two players are not there. And it's crazy that now I'm really thinking about it, why I thought that uh, they would be. Now, I do am interested to see, you know, the Suns, the Suns uh, Nuggets matchup in this, in the next round, but I think the Sun again, just like the Timberwolves. I think when you watch this Wednesday, eight o'clock Eastern, uh, eight o'clock in the morning Eastern time, Eastern Standard Time, that the Clippers will be on their way to Cancun alongside the Timberwolves, and I also feel that way about the Atlanta Hawks. Oh, okay, <laughs> so. A, a team that's already won, and I I, I predicted it was going to be a sweep. It is the 76ers. Uh, the 76ers beat Brooklyn in four games. Uh, the last two games are pretty competitive, but again, when you have the best two players in Joel Embiid and James Harden and Tyrese Maxey, so you have the three best players, you know, it's you're going to win. Uh and I'm I'm not gonna say I mean Brooklyn Mikael Bridges was ten times better than I thought he was, uh, but a lot of the reason why the Brooklyn Nets are in the playoffs are because of players that's not on the Brooklyn Nets currently, and that's just what it is. And you, and once you make it to the playoffs and you play against a superior team, that's gonna happen. So I'm shocked that the the Hawks didn't get swept. Uh, and I'm, I'm, we already talked about the Heat, but yeah, the, the the 76ers did handle business. I think, again, I talked about it with the James Harden thing. You're really, now you're about to get tested. Now you're playing against a team. Now you're playing against a team that a lot of people do not have you beating. And a lot of people have winning the championship, and that is the Boston Celtics. You're going to be tested. So we'll see uh, how that goes. And now I understand. Uh, Doc Rivers are saying is saying that Joel Embiid possibly isn't going to be a hundred percent. We don't know. You're going to need James Harden to step up again. I talked I talked about this last episode. This is when the legacy talk starts with James Harden. This is when it starts when you're going up against a team that a lot of people don't have you beating. But if you talk about the rankings, you have three and two. It's 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 damn near evenly matched. But well, if you're talking about the rankings, but we'll see. You're gonna need a big. You're gonna need a big series out of, out of James Harden and Joel Embiid. That's the only way I see. Joel Embiid's gonna have to get the best of Al Horford and uh, Robert Williams, which of course he can do. I think he's the MVP this year, but we'll see. Oh, another news. Uh, Ime Udoka, 
he is the newest head coach for the Houston Rockets. Again, I said this before. I'll say it again. Sports continue to prove my theory. It's not even a theory, but my opinion, right? It doesn't matter what you do on and off, or it doesn't matter what you do off the court. If you are talented at your job, you have an opportunity. Now, I don't know exactly what happened with Ime Udoka, but I do know that whatever happened with Ime Udoka was, was egregious enough to get him dismissed from the Boston Celtics job. A, uh, a, a offseason following uh, NBA Finals appearance. So I don't know what he did. There was reports. There was nothing was confirmed. There was rumors. But what I'm saying is whatever he did was good enough or was so egregious that the Boston Celtics, who just was in the NBA Finals, dismissed him. And now he's playing. Now he's coaching with the Houston Rockets. Do I think that Emei Doka is a good coach? Hell yes. And I think, and I, and I think that he is a great coach for the Houston Rockets. And I, and I don't think it's a it's a bad hire. I think Emei Doka is a really good coach. And again, I don't know exactly what happened with the whole Boston Celtics situation. I know it was reported, and of course, I'm not going to speak on it. But I know it was reported. So if what is reported is the only thing that's that's true, then of course he deserves, you know. I'm not I'm not upset. But it goes back to if you're talented at your job, there there's a lot of things that a team will 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 gloss over. So and especially it's a team that and the Houston Rockets are one of the worst defensive teams in the league. Now you're getting one of the best defensive coaches. I think it's going to be big. So move forward. Boy, oh boy. Javante Davis. Look. Javante Davis TKO'd Ryan Garcia in the seventh round. Javante, look. I know a lot of people are saying it's it's just this is just look, I understand you have people like uh what uh like was it Devin Haney Haney I understand you have people like Shakur Stevens hell you even have Lovinchenko Lomanchenko maybe Lopez but Every single time I watch Javante Davis, he wins. In fact, he is 29-0. and 0. And I don't know how a lot of people can question if he is the best pound-for-pound pound fighter. I'm not saying, of course, there's different weight classes and everything. And you still have Terrence Crawford. Uh, you still have Tyson Fury. He's pretty good. I, I get that. And I, and I understand, you know, you are you still have Earl Spence. You are who you who you fight. But you, one thing that they say is you can't you cannot play you, you don't play box. And it just felt like watching the I, when you're fighting, it kind of goes back to all sports. And I just talked about this in basketball. 
especially in boxing and fighting, your weaknesses is is going to get you lost or is going to be the demise of you. And Ryan Garcia had a huge weakness. And his weakness is while he is strong, he is fast, he leaves himself open way too much. <laughs> and, as, and as we saw against Javante Davis, who's one of the best tactical fighters we've ever seen, he got knocked down in the first round, I believe, or first or second round. And of course, he got, yo, he lost to a body shot. I'm not a boxer, obviously. I'm not a boxer. I don't play box. I don't, no, I don't slap box. Do you understand how strong you have to be to beat somebody with a body shot? And do you understand how much force and power you have to apply to a punch to beat someone with a body shot? Javante Davis was leaps and bounds the best fighter in the ring on, was it Saturday? And he's 29 and 0. And I'm I'm interested to see who his next fight is. A lot of people are saying uh it could be Devin Haney. A lot of people are saying it could be uh Shakur Stevens. I don't know. But I know that it would be it would behoove me to bet against somebody that is twenty nine and zero. I think Ryan Garcia is a cool a good fighter, but there's levels to this. It's kind of like Trey Young is a good a good basketball player, but then there's Steph Curry. Uh, you know, Brandon Ingram's a very good basketball player, but then there's Kevin Durant. You know, so shouts out to Javante Davis from the crib also. Javante Tank Davis for uh, beating Ryan Garcia in a TKO match or in a TKO match. Beating Ryan Garcia by TKO in the seventh round. That body shot. I think Ryan Garcia. I was. I think Ryan Garcia is going to be the cover because I was. That body shot, bro. He knocked that man, boy. Let me tell you. I think. Lastly, before we go, we have the draft. I know I haven't done no mock drafts. I haven't been talking about it like that, but the draft is here. The draft starts on Thursday, ends on Saturday. And the biggest one one thing that you're hearing about this draft is of course it's one of the best drafts when we talk about interior linemen, when we talk about tight ends. It's also a a, a, a draft <laughs> it's also a swing and a miss draft. Especially when we look at the quarterbacks in question. Of course, you have Bryce Young, you have Anthony Richardson, you have C.J. Stroud, and you have Will Levis. Those are the what? One, two, the five, four. four. Those are the four quarterbacks that are pretty much in question. And when you're the Carolina Panthers, these decisions can make or break a franchise. I mean, think about it. They They drafted... Baker Mayfield, the the Browns drafted Baker Mayfield with the number one overall pick. The Browns haven't been good since. Now, yes, I know they made the playoffs one time, and, of course, we'll see what happened with Deshaun Watson, but 
You know, these Johnny Manziel was drafted. These decisions are, you know, these decisions make or break a franchise. So if I were the Carolina Panthers, I would probably go with the more proven quarterback and the quarterback that had more success in the in college and while I think CJ Stroud is incredible I would probably go with Bryce Young I understand that his size is a question but I mean he's been that size forever and he won a national championship with Alabama so I would go Bryce Young I think that the the question mark is you know do you go with Anthony Richardson who is a freak athlete uh or do you go or a freak quarterback when we talk about the size and we talk about the build? Or do you go with a more proven? Or I think the let me say this: the question marks that when we talk about the quarterback position, the question marks is of course Anthony Richardson and Will Levis. I don't know. I, I think Will Levis finished the season or finished his career seventeen and seven. I don't know why there's so much love on Will Levis. I know he has a cannon of an arm, but here's the thing. I understand that there's a there's a combine. I understand that there's a pro day, but what do you put on tape? And I understand that Will Levis hasn't really played with NFL players. Neither has really any Anthony Richardson. But Anthony Richardson looked drastically better than Will Levis when he was with, of course, Florida. And of course, I'd put I think C.J. Strauss the second best quarterback. Uh, arguably, first best in this draft. What I will say is none of these quarterbacks excite me. And I don't think I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, I definitely would come here and say it. But none of these quarterbacks to me are franchise changing quarterbacks. I know a lot of people are probably going to wait for next year when Caleb Williams, who looks like he could be a franchise changer, he'll be in the draft. And uh, it was Drake May. But Bryce Young is good. CJ Strauss good. Anthony Richardson's good. Will Levis is good. None of them to me are franchise changing quarterbacks. I could be wrong. I think if there was one that could be out of those four, it would be Bryce Young. And number two would probably be CJ Strout, but I don't see it. And honestly, if there's a player that I think could fall out of the top or could could drastically fall from what their draft stock should be is probably Jalen Carter. I think Jalen Carter is the best defensive player in this draft. I all and and he could go as high as what Seattle with five, but you hear a lot about the character issues and everything, and then you hear about of of course the off the field stuff and and those are red flags. But I think Jalen Carter, let me say this: if Jalen Carter had a spot record, like like uh, had absolutely no situation going on, had absolutely no problems, I think he could be a top two pick. That's how good Jalen. Jalen Carter is it's just you know a lot of people are talking about the all the field incident or incidents and stuff another player that I think could could fall that could be the steal of the draft is Nolan Smith another Georgia Bulldog I think when you play alongside Jalen Carter and you have an injury history that could or especially in the last year that could really affect your draft stock but I think Nolan Smith is one of the best players or could be a steal of the draft Uh, I think they have them projected going to like 20 or 21st or something like that Uh, but I think Nolan Smith I think uh, Deontay Banks out of Maryland uh, cornerback can be really good Uh, 
And I'm, I'm, I am interested to see where B. John Robinson goes. You usually don't see run, running backs go in the first two rounds unless you have, like, a, a legit bona fide star like a Saquon Barkley or a uh, Ezekiel Elliott. But, and I don't know if that is B. John Robinson or not. So I'm, I'm excited to see. I, I don't know that. Again, to me, this draft is going to be dominated. It's a top-heavy draft, and I do think that when we talk about the tight end position, what are the Packers going to do? Maybe the the Jets are going to go for a tight end, possibly. Um, see what Atlanta goes with, because Atlanta has, what, the second? Atlanta has the eighth overall pick, so they, they, they might go defense. We're hearing Tyree Wilson might go to them. I don't know. I am interested. One thing that I don't like, one reason why I don't like mock drafts is because you can never predict a trade. You can never predict a trade, and there's always going to be one or two uh, of the top teams that pick a player and, and reach mightily for a player that it just ruins the entire draft. Uh, or not ruins, but shifts the entire draft. So, and I think, I honestly think that could be number four. And I understand the Colts need a quarterback, but. And you're hearing Will Levis. And now, again, I don't think Will Levis is the guy. I could be wrong. But imagine, think about this. Imagine if, let's say, the Colts at four. Imagine if you 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 see on draft night that the Colts trade for Lamar Jackson. That drastically changes the entire draft. So I'm excited to see. I do think that Bryce Young will go number one. Um and I think the Houston Texans, I, I'm hearing that they're not going to go with quarterback. But if they do go with a quarterback, I think they're going to go with C.J. Strouts. I don't know why you wouldn't go with a quarterback, but especially when you have all the problems that you have, one of them being the quarterback position, you want to address that one. We'll see. Uh, but, yeah, that's 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 the draft. I'm excited to see again. It's on Thursday. And I want to see what my Washington – where do they have Washington. They have Washington at the 16th pick. If I was Washington, man, um, you're not getting no quarterback with the 16th pick. I would probably go with O-line uh, because if if you're so committed in Sam Howell, you definitely want to protect him. And last year, the O-line was still a problem. I'd go with O-line, maybe someone from Alabama, since they love picking people from Alabama. Maybe homie from Georgia, uh, uh, what it Broderick Jones, uh, he's he's pretty good. Or, well, you don't need nobody else on the defense right now. You just need to focus on the offensive line, and maybe get it go for the tight end. I know Logan Thomas is pretty good, but he's getting up there in age, and maybe get a another wide receiver. I don't know. I think that you should focus this draft on offense, especially when we talk about the offensive line, and that's Washington. Homer. And there you have it. That's been today's episode of the Unpopular Podcast. I appreciate you guys. Um, if you want an Unpopular Podcast shirt, hoodie, sweater, long sleeve joggers, the link is in the description below. I have multiple different colors, multiple different designs. Get your Unpopular Podcast merch today. Also, please subscribe to wherever you're listening. Please subscribe to wherever you're watching. It definitely, definitely means a lot to me. I'm excited. I love watching. NBA basketball, I love watching the playoffs. So I would you know, keep interacting, keep commenting on the on the 
the videos and stuff, and we'll talk about it. And well, I'll probably be talking through the draft like I usually do and how crazy things turn out. So we'll see. But until next time, much love.